Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Significant Watches podcast, episode 45. I'm your host, Charlie Dunn. I'm coming live from Palm Beach, checking in with my significant others, or as I like to call them, my co-hosts. Tony, what's up, baby? Charlie, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm, I miss you terribly. I've missed you terribly. You've been on vacation from what it looks like on Instagram. I never stop working, Charlie. Don't you put that on me. Okay, whatever. Gabe, what's up, man? Hey, all good. Thank you. Did I hear something about a new watch alert from Gabe? Yeah, you know, there's always a new watch, new car, new bike, whatever. Uh, I picked up the the little Le Mans, you know, the white gold Oyster Flex Daytona with the black dial. Um, I don't know. It's hitting all the right vibes for me. I'm I'm enjoying it. It's my only really modern uh, Rolex that's that stuck around for more than a couple of days. Uh, I'm surprised by how much I'm enjoying it on the wrist as a daily beater. Taking offers now. <laughs> Hopefully above retail. Did you get it at retail, Gabe? I did. I did. <laughs> Who knows the way things are trending. Apparently, the word on the street is they'll be below retail in the not-too-distant future. And by them, I mean all Rolex. I'm waiting for Patek <laughs> to fall a little bit more. Um, it's falling hard. We'll see. Let them between, continue to fall. In between bites of his lunch, Eric, what's up? Miss you, Charlie. I guess, what do you guys want to start out with? We've got a few things. We can talk about articles. We can talk about auctions. We can kind of just talk about what's going on, going into let's, the holiday season. Where do we start? Let's talk about a Acrivia game. What did you think about the Acrivia Reshep results in Hong Kong. <laughs> I mean, what's going on? What's going on here? I mean, this is this might be the quickest hockey stick that I have seen in the watch industry going on. You know, with the what? What did Hammer had in dollars? It was like eight hundred ninety-eight, nine hundred something, something very. Very close with that CC. That was that. That's crazy. I mean, you know, more power to him. But on the flip side, it's interesting to see Jorn kind of come down. And I don't, I don't know if we want to dive into a little bit of of that drama. And you know, I think it's definitely worth mentioning because you know it's something that we've all talked about. You know, for the last fifteen years about about that personality but you know i think um that personality is starting to bite him in the ass whereas i think people really can get behind somebody like a rec Shep and you know honestly it's significantly rarer um you know i think that's it's a crazy number i i don't i don't want to speculate it say it's worth it or not worth it but it is crazy i mean the watch isn't even 10 years old and it's doing these numbers you know more power to them I guess I guess there are a couple of bidders who really really want them, willing to overpay for it like that. That's that's interesting. What did you think about the Acrivia results? One was just under five hundred, one a little over five hundred USD. Correct. Uh, yeah, something yeah, around the there. AK. I'll I'll put the I'll put the results in real quick. Uh, the AK six, the unique only watch, I believe AK six was about six hundred and eighty US. And then the uh, AK1 was more like, it was 4.7 Hong Kong, uh, yeah. which is a 
about 600 US. I mean, that's so crazy to me. Crazy. You know, I, I remember seeing these very, very early ones. I think it was the first one that he had ever, ever done and thinking that, you know, the hand hammer still had some ways to go. And, you know, I passed on that and I passed on the CCs twice at, you know, directly. You know, I guess, I guess the market proved me wrong. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I think the AK06 is a nice watch. The aesthetics don't are aren't exactly there for me, um, but I like it. I I, I I think it's crazy. I think these numbers are getting a little ridiculous. Um, but again, I think the 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 limited quantity of those watches will make it will make them keep their value. Whereas I think what we're seeing with something like Philip Dufour is you know a couple of hundred simplicities well you know i mean the prices are starting to come down you know they're you're not going to sell simplicity for a million dollars anymore um which i think is more power to to the people who are not paying those prices anymore but i think i think on, honestly it feels like we have a lot more room to go for for Rekshep, which is crazy to think about but again that's it's it's great for him and it's great for the sellers i guess I thought the AK06 result kind of validated the um, HDH, which is kind of a wine auction house, but they did their first uh, watch sale a couple months ago. They sold the AK06 for about 550 People were questioning if it could have gone higher, but I think kind of having an only watch version go for 650 validates that that they performed relatively well or, or at market, I would say. Uh, on the DeFour side of things, it was interesting to watch the 34 millimeter pink gold and the Christie's important watches sale passed. I think it had a reserve just above 500,000 US. Maybe the first time we've seen a DeFore pass. Uh, part of that is just because of the reserve, I'm sure. Um, and then there was the unique one that was supposed to raise money for the uh, Philippe DeFore Foundation that sold for about 1.2 or 1.3 million US, which was below the low estimate, even. It's still a lot of money for a watch, obviously, but. Uh, expectations and hopes had been really high for that, obviously because of the shareable component as well. So certainly, uh, two two watchmakers trending in a different direction as far as the the market is concerned right now. Eric, what uh, what do you think of everything going on out in out in Hong Kong over the Thanksgiving weekend? It was a very soft performance, I would say in general. Um, the the numbers just weren't what everyone kind of was hoping for or expecting the oak collection in particular did very poorly you know the highlight lots passed uh and a lot of the kind of brigades that were in their past etc um not surprisingly yeah it was just not nearly what it was hyped up to be so I think Zaman, in hindsight, probably is feeling pretty good if he got all the numbers that they worked out. Uh, and the Oak Collection, a few weeks later, was looking pretty pretty rough overall. Interestingly, the Zaman Collection had not really been marketed in any, in any competition towards what the Oak Collection had been marketed towards. So it's like, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it certainly seems there was more interesting things in the Oak collection from the stuff that was on display in the um, exhibits, as well as the videos of talking watches, but still um, not great. Yeah, not awesome. You know, I, the vintage pieces, you know, the that were in Hong Kong 
did not perform kind of strongly across the board in general. And it's been kind of a test the last five years as they've put more and more vintage in Hong Kong, if it would perform as well as it would in Geneva or New York. But in terms of this season, it did not. Um, so we, you know, certainly if I was consigning a vintage watch to auction, it, Hong Kong would probably not be my first choice in terms of where to consign it. It's traditionally been a place for modern watches. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's going to be interesting looking toward New York. There's some really cool pieces coming up. Sotheby's in particular has a great catalog. Christie's has some nice pieces, as does Phillips. But um, I think uh, we'll just see how the, the New York auctions do shortly. Um, what are you looking forward to in New York, Gabe? I'm really looking forward to the Sotheby's. They have the Hammer Collection, who's this um, collector out of Australia that I've known for a while, and he's been in the collecting game for decades. Um, you know, an old school Paneristi guy, some really cool prototype uh, Panerais, but he has this. Well, I'm, I'm hesitant to say it out loud in case anybody bids against me, but there are two or three. Um, pieces in there that are that are of particular interest to me that comex that the diver was wearing when they found the largest sunken uh gold treasure um that one is very cool to me because it doesn't have the comex on the dial um you know there's there's uh i think another a, a nice 6263 big red um that you know if it goes for reasonable uh a reasonable sum you know, I, I could be interested in that. And there's a couple of, uh, you know, some Panerais as well, which I'll say in uh, one of a sort of voce. But I, I think those, those harken back to um, a nostalgic time for me of the early collecting days when I was in high school. Um, so, you know, I always have a soft spot for, for that, you know, the pre-Vendome uh, watches and the Slytech prototype that's in there. Um, I think that that's just, just, you know, just nice fun and hopefully won't go for all the money or even anything too significant. So that, that could be a lot of fun. Um, I think there's some really cool independence in there. There's the unique uh, Dreamwatch 5 Debethune at Philips, which is a slightly more angular version, which I really like. Um you know, there, there's a couple of, there's a couple of cool independents coming up uh, next weekend. So you know, we'll see. I have my eye on a couple of things. I'm still kind of sour about missing out on the chocolate box, the MBNF uh, HM2. That was um, all the money. I mean, I, I'm still flabbergasted by by what that went for. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what I've got my eye on. I think there's Phillips as a testy tondi that's uh, that I want to look at in person because the estimates are are quite light on it. Um, so we'll see. What about you, Eric? Anything that popped out at you? Specifically, I want to go back to one thing. Tell us about the good old days of collecting Panerais in high school, Gabe. I think this is an interesting perspective. I mean, on one hand, it makes me sick to my stomach, but I also am a little bit excited about hearing this one. I, I mean, you know, it was, if you close your eyes and you imagine a different time kind of, pre-iPhone, you know, early days of social media where we were still reading these things called magazines and they had those ads with, 
you know, watch ads were the most boring Swiss things that you could ever imagine. And then Panerai came out with this image of um, the guys, you know, diving in, wearing this. And so it had this whole feel to it. And, you know, as, as, uh, as a high school kid with a Rambo complex, that really kind of spoke to me. And, you know, at the time these things were, were like one or two grand. And so you could like, uh, you know, work a side gig and, and get yourself a Panerai for, you know, two, three grand at the time. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, you weren't buying a, a Rolex and it wasn't this, you know, it, it didn't have the name recognition at the time that, um, you know, some of the other brands were, and they were doing things that were, uh, that, you know, it, it, and to me, you know, we were talking about a Crivia before. And it, to me, the first watch brand that I remember that had really strong case DNA and a, and a, and a look to the case was Panerai, you know, with the, with the Luminor case and then with the Radimir case, and you had those two distinct cases. And, you know, now Acrivia has, you know, their distinct case look as well. Uh, and, you know, it just, it just felt a little bit more substantial of a watch, a little bit more of a purpose. And at the time there were only really two watches that had um, guards over the pushers or over the, the crown. And it was that uh, Panerai, you know, the Luminor line. And it was the AP Royal Oak offshore survivor. If you guys remember that where you had to like, don't forget move. the uh, Graham as well. Remember those Grams, the Chrono fighters, but the Chrono fighter, you could engage with the thing covering it. So, you know, it was, it was a little different, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it, you know, it, it was, it was definitely more of an accessory than, than, a piece of horology in those days, uh, you know, certainly it was treated as such, you know, we're talking the early aughts. So it wasn't, you know, it, it, collecting watches wasn't, wasn't a, a big deal as it is now. And it wasn't done with the intent of, you know, value and such. And so again, you know, these were in the mid to low single digit thousand dollars and they were, you know, they were chunkier and this is around the time where large size watches, you know, 42, 44 were kind of coming into vogue and people were buying these 50 millimeter Invictas and you would see them all over the place. Uh, you know, this kind of felt, you know, of the times and it is a, a watch to me of that nostalgic time where things were somehow accessible. Tell us about the looks in this period of, of a Gabe in high school. Was it Abercrombie and Fitch Polo with baggy cargos? Was it an affliction t-shirt? Right now you're, you're right now you're rocking the shawl and it looks beautiful. I'm curious to see where this like vibe goes. Uh, I, I was always, well, you know, again, we're talking about high school. So I had to wear, I think it was, I don't think I was allowed to wear t-shirts in high school, but I, I'm pretty sure I was just basically, you know, you're, you're, basic uh polo shirt and uh you know it was slacks and that kind of thing maybe jordans probably i, I was really into sports so uh sneakers definitely but you know already at that time i was you know i was more into cars and uh you know i, I was riding <laughs> you know i was illegally riding motorcycles in manhattan and, you know it was uh it's definitely a different time so if that gives you a better picture i had i i, I remember at the time i bought my R6 and I could only afford, I, I couldn't afford the safety gear. So I went on eBay and found like the cheapest, uh, helmet, I full face helmet, which was like a showy Troy Lee designs that had like uh, dragons on the side of it. <laughs> and you know, that that's what, that's what I made do with for a couple of years. Um, 
but uh yeah i mean it was uh you know i i I was an Upper East Side kid, and so I never was really in the the baggy pants uh, thing because I think my mom would have would have uh, cut my legs off if I ever showed up with uh, baggy jeans or anything like that. What about you guys? Anything that catches your eyes in the upcoming auctions? Likes, dislikes, and differences. I know Charlie loves the Debbie Thune, the Dreamwatch Five. I know that's right up his alley. You're going to bid heavy. We're going to get into a bidding war for it. You, and, you me, and uh, Swiss Beats. Swiss Beats, LL Cool J, Charlie Dunn, and Gabe all at a party for Debeth Unit could be a really good look for the brand. Don't forget the Govberg guys for good measure. Or what is it, 1916? I still don't understand what that is. You know, there's a, I think Chrissy's is exciting. Chrissy's is on Tuesday, so maybe I'll just mention a couple of things there. I was curious what you guys thought of the – there's a couple of Cartier London watches there. There's a tank and then a, a maxi oval. Looks like the maxi oval, the dial's been kind of reprinted at some point. Um, I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on uh, on those or just maybe Chrissy's more, more broadly. Those jumped out to me as perhaps – a few of the watches that aren't uh, people seem to still be buying Cartier. A lot of the other to quote a prominent uh, Cartier seller. Nobody cares if the dials are reprinted. That's Rolex it's stuff. True. It's true. Anything uh, jump out to you from the Christie's sale though, uh, uh, Charlie or Gabe for that matter? No, I don't remember. <laughs> I know I looked at it, but not, nothing that I remember. And I, I Nothing that made me want to go back and look a second time. No one's excited about uh, Andy Warhol's perpetual calendar paddock, the 34, is it 3450 or 3448? Everyone knows that Andy was a collector in mass, not in condition. As a friend of the show at Jafari once said, that has the ugliest case of any watch I have ever seen. Shout, Shout out to, to Jeff. Jeff Binstock, our friend of the show. It's a rough, rough case for sure. It's tough. It doesn't wear particularly well either, especially on a small wrist such as mine. It's a, it's a tough look. It's a horror. Thirty nine forty is a much more refined watch for an elegant gentleman. I might, I might. Have. Yeah, I agree. Oh, there was a uh, Phillips had, I think, a fifteen twenty six that I that had very. Potentially abusively low estimates on it. I wanted to look at. Did you guys take a chance or know the watch or have any thoughts on it? Charlie's laughing at it already. Abusive is funny. Abusive is a great comment in terms of (laughs) estimates. I like that. Speaking of abusive, I heard uh, recently about someone trying to sell a new Snoopy to a larger retailer and they off it was brand new and they offered six thousand dollars for it (laughs) everyone was going crazy privately that that was the quote uh for the purchase of it but uh pretty pretty funny um yeah it's uh it's gonna be an exciting new york you'll be there tony all week baby I'll just be missing my Eric, but that's yeah. otherwise I'm, I'm actually to it. I'm planning to come up, so we'll huge. Yeah. Ooh, we'll live taping guys. You want to do a live show? We could. That's right. I might sell I might sell a watch <laughs> we to need, a celebrity while I'm out there. Yeah. We need a designated survivor though. <laughs> you gotta be there too, Charlie. 
So the three one five one is from what I, from what I understood was the uh, second Memovox ever introduced in 1950. But um, after speaking with the person I would describe as like an authoritative authoritative figure on vintage Jagula Cultura on Instagram, he is FLDX underscore Clavi. I guess you could call him Clavi as his alias. He's um, a pretty big collector in, in vintage JLC. And speaking with him, he would point out that the watch actually was released in tangent with the 3150, uh, which is the barrel or tubular or kind of hooded lug Memovox, which is a two-piece case body that's kind of, um, yeah, it's it's cool. It's seen in the first ads of the watch. Um, so it's a really interesting um, collector's guide, in my opinion. I liked it a lot. Uh, I liked writing it. These are the articles that I like to read. I like to write. Um, it's a really cool watch. It's kind of got flared out lugs that are downturned, kind of teardrop style, um, two-piece case as well. Uh, very kind of big dial in terms of the way it wears. It's a 35 millimeter case, which is pretty big for 1930, 1950, I'd say. Um, it's kind of got an Art Deco case design also, which is like a little bit out of place along with the first Memovox that it was released alongside. So um, I like it. Included some primary source material, some different examples. Uh, I think it's a fun read and I continually like the Memovox watches. It's hard not to love them for me. We're selling a few of them as well. Um, we just got a sick Cloud Browser. We got a really nice 855. And got a lot of watches. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Did you guys check it out or you guys have anything to say on it? You know I'm a dual plan man, Charlie. Yeah. That's, uh, I can't stand That's where my heart I, lies. I can't stand you since you got that duo plan. <laughs> Charlie and I now wear matching watches whenever we hang out. Our cute little uh, duo plans. Combined, they have a diameter of, uh, you know, maybe 25 millimeters. It's really, really <laughs> We're a dynamic duo in our duo plans. <laughs> it makes me sick that you got that watch. <laughs> Very cute. I thought you guys were more uh, rainbow aquanaut repeater kind of guys. What we do are. You, what do you think of that, Gabe? The non-water resistant aquanaut. I mean, I think they whiffed so hard on this. I think it's such a whiff. They had such a cool opportunity to do it well. I I just I both versions are just I I can't get near this. It just it just no good. I don't know what they're thinking between those two and then the the other minute repeater with the face on it. I mean, oh God, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but speaking of watch releases, the the new MBNF HM I think is actually pretty cool. Um, if it wasn't for the price, again, two hundred thirty thousand dollars, but I think it's a really cool concept. Technically, very very interesting with the watch that actually turns and that has everything in basically a separate uh, aperture around. Um, I think that that's technically quite impressive. And, you know, I'm happy to see something, you know, different take from uh, MBNF uh, on the HM line, which typically is automotive inspired or water inspired um, or oddly animal inspired with the bulldog, which wasn't to my taste. Um, this was cool. This was, you know, had specific cues from architecture. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, he calls it the house for the wrist or whatever. I mean, 
price price definitely makes it house money but um it's i i thought it was i thought it was definitely a really cool concept in terms of aesthetic but also in terms of the mechanics inside of it the winding where you can turn it each little click has like 90 minutes adds 90 minutes of power reserve i thought that was really cool and the way the crown is on its own independent little uh little sphere thing i i i think that's that's pretty cool and to me that that far eclipses anything that patek has put out and the aquanauts are just they're terrible i really wish they would have done uh you know a water resistant uh non gem set minute repeater uh first and then they offered a gem set later which I think big whiff, big big whiff, and that weird happy birthday piece to to the father with the dial. I mean, I I don't know. I I, I don't. I really don't know what they were thinking. This feels like uh, all those memes of bad tattoos. This really feels like uh, like that. Like they really. I I, I don't know. But uh, something's going on over there, and. Um, you know, between that and the falling prices on the secondary market, uh, somebody somebody's got to step up and uh, write that ship quickly. Yeah, something's in the water and it's not good. I couldn't believe the Mister Stern <laughs> repeater with his uh, profile of his face. I was shocked uh, to think something like that would even be designed or thought of in the first place uh, was horrified really is the appropriate word for it but uh, it was really a disgusting look for the brand it's a, it's all downhill from here in all honesty who would have thought who would have thought this you know you remember the 175 yes I mean come on I mean Paddock was at the top of the top and now look how far they've gone but I will say the memes from the the Stern repeater is 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 gold. It's great. I mean, it's great. But you know, it's a sad day when the Takashi Murakami Hublot Turbion is a better looking watch, and I would take it over either of the new Patek releases. I mean, I would happily wear that flower, that Turbion flower, over. Any of those? I mean, could you? Uh, do, do you have any indication on what the on um, if they're actually going to make a series of those repeaters and uh, what they're going to cost? Not not the Aquanauts. The, those are probably. But, uh, I mean, I think they're making yeah. thirty of twenty five. I thought the first one was supposed to go to only watch, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, um, what are they going to charge? Three million? Four million? Or who's buying that? It's nuts. I I know a certain father son duo that probably will buy <laughs> one or two. If they don't buy it, then Patek's in serious trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically tailor made for them and twenty eight of their closest friends. So, oh yeah, well. All I can say is I hope the prices fall so the good stuff is actually, you know, worth you know, not not all the money again. So that I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing that. But um 
you know, we'll see. Yeah, uh, we'll see. The Tiffany blue Nautiluses are falling out of the sky. They're just a little bit over a million dollars now, um, and dropping fast. I feel like so. Uh, yeah, it's still not bad for a watch that was fifty-two thousand uh, retail, but not. Uh, it's a far cry from four million where the early ones were trading <laughs> last year. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, it basically feels like the entire watch industry jumped on that Tiffany blue dial hype train. And I think, uh, you know, for eight grand, you could get a Rolex with this with the blue and, you know, feel the same way about it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, if you really want the, you know, if you really want, you can, you can get it modified to look more similar but i the, i never understood that i guess you know that's a that's a thing on its own but uh i don't know i'm just i'm not excited i saw there are a couple of unique uh there's a unique 5004 in there in the phillips catalog i i yeah exactly tony tony's uh tony's exactly how i feel but you know i mean it, it's it feels like every sale has a unique special execution Patek now, and they've sort of lost their luster, you know, all those Ovitz watches, the Clapton's, the this, the that, whatever. And I, I do you feel that they're going to lose their premium completely in uh, in a couple of auctions, or do you think that they're always going to command a, a significant premium over the non-unique executions? There's a 5013P that's got red accents, which looks horrible. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the communist Jorn uh, tourbillon that Phillips just sold with the with the yellow stars in place of the power reserve. That, by the way, the catalog entry was insane. The at least for when they sold one of the five last year, I think it was the same. They just reused it, but they're like. The new Jorn boutique is located just two minutes away from Tiananmen Square. They said that in the description, and I was like, what? And Eric was reading the caption or the catalog essay to me, and my jaw was on the floor driving, screaming, You mean the place where they massacred the citizens? Speaking of so, which, did you see that uh, in China, they're, they, there are a bunch of people wearing the Taylor Swift shirts that say TS 1989. Oh, wow. Because she's born. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so that's, that's it. It's a great wear, album. Wear the watch and the shirt. Should we get into the Jorn, the Jorn thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, go ahead. So tell us. So all views, all views reflect Gabe, not us. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not scared of some controversy and bring on, bring it on. I like a good slugfest, um, just in case, you know. But uh, so apparently, and this has been, this has been put out there. So I'm not the first. I'm just rehashing. Apparently, there was a dinner with, uh, I think it was the Jorn Society collectors and and friends of the brand or whatever, and FP behaved in a inappropriate manner with some um, uh, with some people and they and uh, uh, 
not insignificant amount of the people at the dinner got up and left and then proceeded to liquidate their collections because of his behavior. Um, I'm a little baffled by all this because we've known about his behavior for about 20 years. I mean, I can remember, you know, before this was, Jean was a big deal. We all knew, you know, the guys who were the big drinkers. We all knew about, you know, the guys who had tendencies, uh, misogynistic tendencies or driving while intoxicated tendencies or, you know, whatever it is. And it was never hidden you know, kind of came with the territory. And um, I think uh, my feeling is that this might be some of the newer collectors who didn't know about this or who haven't met him before that. And, you know, I I mean, you guys know there have been some female watch journalists who refuse to cover Jorn or talk to him or be interviewed with him because, you know, he's acted over the years in a, in a less than honorable manner um, towards them. And, you know, it's not, not a small secret, but that's apparently the drama and it's causing prices to come down because these are rather large, collectors that are that are putting their collections up for sale for whatever um whatever we uh whatever you know for for whatever reason so um did you guys hear anything different no just uh that it was a rough dinner costly (laughs) dinner that's why they say never meet your heroes but you can always meet a horological homie (laughs) <laughs> Let me say, Eric, you used to be you used to be a hero of mine and now you're uh now you're merely a friend i suppose but oh man you just continue to surpass every single expectation so <laughs> no you know. sometimes it's okay to meet your heroes yeah books on time too a former hero of mine and look at him now it's amazing what what happened here i don't know oh no charlie and eric are just heroes of mine i screwed him over. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's definitely a, a problem here with uh, you know generationally, um, but also, I mean, listen, that's it, what happens with the hype train, right? And it is what it is. What do you guys think the fallout is going to be of uh, significantly falling Jorn prices or any, if none at all? I think it was falling even before this. Uh, everyone will love to point to a specific event, but things neither rise nor fall because of one one instance. And uh, I think the mark the market for Jorns at these levels has always been super thin. I've experienced it when I've put up a Jorn that's rare over the last couple of years, and it's like if you find one person ready to buy it, you're thanking god that you might you have a sale oh, there, there's not like five people behind that person ready to purchase it so that's always something i look at depth of market and i've kind of felt that the jorn hype was a bit of a potemkin village to use that uh great historical story of the fake villages in russia that they were they were touring uh but yeah, that's how, how I've kind of felt about the Jorn market the last couple of years. It's a Potemkin village. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, I, I've never really understood it. You know, they were around for so he was he was around for so long. But uh, I I hear I hear there are people who really stocked up on Jorn, expecting these to keep going up and up and up. So, you know, I think the people who've been hoarding these Jorns and uh, trying to pump the market will hopefully get uh, get a slight wake up call. Yeah, and I thought, you know, the Govbergs were definitely one of the big reasons things went crazy. And when they essentially were selling their entire collection in May at <laughs> Christie's, I thought that's not exactly a great sign for the market either. Um, so, you know, it's just there's just not that many buyers on the other sides of these purchases. Anything that you're seeing that's on the way up that we should pay attention to before it goes crazy, or not yet? Vintage Hoyer. (laughs) It's, it's, oh, this was what I was just looking for, by the way. One of my favorite, speaking of kind of auction houses and auction catalogs, I think this is actually a great way to wrap it, wrap up. This was the Phillips winning icons 2017 catalog of course famous for the paul newman paul newman daytona selling for 17.8 million but in uh this auction there was lot 15 a reference 6265 which is kind of just a simple sigma daytona which had a punched guarantee uh this is the catalog essay Ever since the beginning of humanity, man has sought to track the passage of time, whether via astrolabes for seasonal changes, sundials for hourly changes, or today's wristwatches with, quote, to the second, unquote, accuracy. Precision timekeeping has evolved to an art form, and certain brands and models have become inseparable. Rolex, with its Cosmograph Daytona model launched in 1963, is one such legendary association. (laughs) I just love the beginning. It's just so, it's one of the most absurd beginnings to any watch I've ever read in uh, the you know hundreds of catalogs i've read over the years if not more it's just so insane this is how i'm gonna start writing (laughs) ever since the beginning of humanity it's just an unbelievable start to a a watch uh yeah but uh i think on that note let's uh hopefully gather in new york next week and we hope you enjoyed this episode